0: It's a Monday up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Coming off a great sports weekend. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the irreverent, the intelligent John Riley, who broadcasts from left field. We welcome you to our bonus podcast on a Monday coming off an absolutely amazing weekend. We got so many different stories to talk to you about. John, good afternoon. Before we get started, let's just briefly explain what we do at the end of each of the podcasts because we're looking for another co-host to add to the conversation. Describe for them on live stream what Fans Forum is.
1: Yeah, Fans Forum is your chance to get involved. Jeez, look at Hacksaw's Headlines. They've got a ton to talk about. A great chance for you to get involved. If you have a question or comment for Lee, just drop it in the live chat on Facebook or on YouTube. We'll get you involved in hacksaw. In, in excuse me, in the Fans Forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. Be sure, of course, always to subscribe wherever you get your podcast.
0: And a reminder, when you subscribe, also share with all your friends. Tell them what we're doing on Monday with bonus coverage, our regular podcast on Thursday. Inform everybody and then subscribe so you'll get all the alerts. Also, right across the top of the screen, that's my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. If you like sports, you should read it every day. An absolute ton of information. One Man's Opinion columns I write every day. We can hack uh, Hacksaw's Headlines, Best 15 Minutes in Radio, and Hacksaw's Mini Polls. It's all free, so make sure you share with that, too. And by the way, give us a thumbs up. By the way, if you're going to rate us, give us five stars. We have no pride. We'll take all those <laughs> recommendations. John, let's get started. Great sports weekend included a pretty
1: good group of games at Petco Park. Yeah, I mean, it was a great weekend with the Padres and the Rays. I mean, the Padres... We're going against the team with the best record in baseball. And, you know, they, they started to turn the corner here a bit.
0: That's what the headline says. Are you sure about that? Yeah. So that's what a first-place team looks like. Tampa Bay rolls in here with 50 wins. Shut out the Padres in the first game of the series. The Padres grinded back. They figured a way to win out the last two. Now they go on the road. Have the Padres turned the corner? I'll have to see that to believe that. But I will say this, this weekend series had everything in it. I mean, it was electric, it was vibrant, it was controversial, it was aggressive. I mean, strange weekend. Manny Machado chirps to the media. I think he's tired of answering questions about why dude is hitting 243. Mm-hmm. And he made the comment, "Just look at the back of my baseball card. That's what my career is all about. Well, not this year." Manny's starting to get a little chippy uh with the media. Uh games, three bunts in a row in three at-bats. I've never ever seen that in my life. Uh Padres used that to trigger a two run rally. In the box scores, it looks like three line drive hits, but they were just <laughs> dumping balls out in front. Tampa didn't play, I, I didn't think played very good defense along the way. Uh, two errors on the same play involving Wander Franco. Just throw the ball all over the yard, guys running the bases with reckless abandon. Um, Tatis running crazy on the bases. When he's on first on a hit or a walk, he's instantly on second. He's taken extra bases. He's going from first to third on infield ground balls. Came home from first on another play. He was just all over the place. Uh, You add into that Blake Snell. Where'd that come from? Bottle that. Use that once every five days. Twelve strikeouts, six shutout innings. It is hard to believe Blake Snell has allowed one run in his last 25 innings. Suicide squeezes. Just a grab bag of strategy during the course. I propose my motion. We change the name of El Nino to Fernando Tatis, quote, Wild Horse. Wild Horse? has Has he brought energy? Has he brought leadership? Has he brought electricity to the Padre batting order? That's pretty interesting. Now, that being said... Flipping back to your first question, turn the corner, we'll find out. Ten of the next thirteen are on the road, and they got to play the Giants, who are ahead of them. There's there's six teams right now in the National League that are all fighting for three wild card spots. So the Padres are going to have to find a way to get on a hot streak, and I don't know whether that's five wins in a row or that's eight out of ten, but they're going to have to get on a hot streak. To vault a whole bunch of these guys, so they can be fighting for either position one or position two in the wild card race. You know, the, do they have a chance of catching the Dodgers? Maybe, but you know that would that would encompass the Padres winning ten in a row and Arizona losing ten straight. I don't know that that's in the cards. Now, they're seven and a half back. They're the sixth wild card team with five in front of them. Granted, there's still half a season to go. So, but. Every time we've had an emotional upswing and said, yeah, that's, that's that's the best of the Padres, then they promptly lose to a sub-500 team. They have a sub-500 record at home. They have a sub-500 record against teams with losing records. So I guess they haven't convinced me. I don't know. Have they convinced anybody on our live stream? You tell me. John, I just threw a lot
1: of stuff at you, but you like the idea of wild horse? Wild horse. You know, he El Nino, wild horse, maybe. I mean, just the way he you know advanced ultimately from first and came all the way around from home. It just showed off the athleticism. We talked about it earlier in the week. How a five-tool performance that he had against the Guardians, then against the Rays, he's running wild on the bases. He's throwing out Margot at home on a great play from right field. So now, you know, Fernando is. I think he's really starting to show us that he's the best player on this team. Oh,
0: he's a complete player on this team yeah. right now. Now the, the burning question, because he plays so hard, don't get hurt.
1: Yeah, don't get hurt. But, you know, he has a history of kind of going a little too far over the edge. But, yeah, I mean, you got to love Snell. The bullpen has generally been pretty good. Pitching and defense been solid. Just that hitting. Come around a little bit more, and then I think they're going to be in a good spot.
0: Just read the back of my baseball card, says Manny Machado. You're <laughs> tired of his reactions and response. You know, the, the first third of the season response is, oh, it's a long season. We'll get it figured out. Well, we're almost at the halfway mark now, and you know, dude's not hitting. He is playing defensively, not hitting like a $30 million a year player.
1: Well, he's probably hearing that every game, exactly. you know, from all the post game uh, press that are in the locker room. He's probably gets a little irritated answering the same question over and over again. I have confidence Manny will come around. I mean, you know, he has to lay off that slider down in a way. And if he can do that, He's going to be terrific. It's just, you know, it just hasn't been working for him lately.
0: Okay, Padre fan, if you're on the live stream, you answer the question, have the Padres turned the corner? Join us in fans' forum. Let's go from one team to another team in the National League West. Oh, my God, the Dodgers have just got killed by the Giants over the weekend. What a mess. Holy cow. We talked about a week ago, does the team president there, Andrew Friedman, go ahead and try to make a deal to fix what ails the Dodgers Dodgers are hitting the daylights out of the ball. They're playing pretty good defense. The Dodgers pitching staff is just staggered. Uh, They've got seven different starting pitchers who've had injuries already the first half of the season. The bullpen has been very erratic outside of Evan Phillip. They don't really have anybody you can trust on a week-by- or game-by-game, night-by-night basis to go to. And, And obviously what's happened to the front end of the starting rotation has been real significant. But on Monday morning, Andrew Friedman said... The solutions to our pitching problems are going to come from within. There's not going to be a deal. Uh, you know, we, we've seen some of the kid pitchers show up. Bobby Miller threw three brilliant starts in a row, mm-hmm. uh, gave up only one run. Now, he did get blown out in his last start, but that happens to all <laughs> rookies. And then they brought up this young pitcher from A AA and AAA, and he threw six no-hit innings in his major league debut, turned the ball over to the bullpen, and the bullpen turned a lead into a setback. Oh, and it was just absolutely awful uh, what they did uh, to uh, Emmett Sheehan. But you got Miller, and you got Sheehan, who've proven they can pitch, and you got Kershaw. They hope to get Julio Urias back, maybe at the end of this week. Syndergaard is already at Camelback Ranch, and they're working on his mechanics. He doesn't have any physical woes, but it's it's up here or it's in here. They think they'll get him figured out. And what they need to do is they need to settle on who's going to be certain guys in the pen. Because right now Dave Roberts seems to be clutching and grabbing. And, you know, one-time one, one time Caleb Ferguson pitches. Well, the next time <coughs> he can't get anybody out. And it's been the same situation with Vizia and virtually everybody outside of Evan Phillip. What I think they need to do is, A, hope. Hope these starting pitchers can hang in there. And then, B, find a slot for who's the sixth-inning guy if you've got to have a sixth-inning guy, and then a different guy in the seventh, and get them settled in. It's one thing the Padres, I think, have mastered mm-hmm. a great deal. End of the uh, conversation. Andrew Friedman, the solution has to come from within.
1: Well, that's an interesting angle because the Dodgers always have all the resources, right? Mm-hmm. They'll always go out and get whoever they need. But they have a lot of guys. What about Gratterall? Remember that guy? Hot I mean, and cold. Yeah, and he was always popping off to the Padres when, and he could throw like over 100 miles an hour. Is he part of that mix? I mean, how is he doing so far this year?
0: It depends what day of the week it is. Hot and cold, Jekyll Hyde, good and bad, you mm-hmm. name it. I mean, they've got probably, I want to say six guys out of the pen, that are just pitching erratically to the point you can't trust them. But you have to use them because there's nobody left in the farm system. And all their young pitchers are up here. A couple of them are hurt. So, I mean, the Dodgers think they can work this through. I was aghast on the out-of-town scoreboard Saturday. I looked at <laughs> that thing. I said, no, Dodgers lost 15 nothing at home to your Giants. Yeah, Dodgers have been playing baseball since the 1880s. That 15-0 home field loss was the worst loss in Dodger history, either L.A. or Brooklyn, dating back to 1898.
1: Oh, my. Wow. That goes way back. And especially at the Giant-Dodger rivalry. I mean, my buddy up in San Francisco, a huge Giant fan, he was starting to ask himself the question, are the Giants actually good? You know, because we weren't expecting much from them, and now they find themselves I think the Giants are in third
0: place, right? But thirty nine thirty two.
1: Yeah, but they're doing a lot better than the pond race right now. I think we expect it's sort of a down season for San Francisco. But geez, fifteen and nothing at home.
0: Uh, Dodgers know? have lost ten of their last fourteen, fourteen of their last twenty two. But here's the screwball part of this conversation. With all that losing they're only four back of Arizona in first place cuz when Arizona's lost the Dodgers have lost and okay. it's kind of been the same same storyline with the Padres mm-hmm. which is why the Padres can't make up any ground on Arizona cuz either they win we win or they lose Friars lose yeah. so it's just it's strange but that's the latest there third team here in Southern California we got followers
1: yeah i mean this is good i mean the, the Angels are having a nice little season coming here right in the playoff hunt Who would
0: have thought we'd have this conversation the first week of June? Halos in the playoff hunt. Phil Nevin has really got them believing. I mean, the most important aspect is Otani is en route to another MVP season. He's got 23 home runs, leads the majors in home runs. He's pitching pretty well. He's only had one or two bad outings. That's, I think, a fatigue factor. Uh, Trout has stayed on the field. He's hitting home runs. Rendon just went back on the disabled list today for the third time this season. Can't keep him on the roster. So I think the, the composite roster isn't great, but they're playing hard. They're playing aggressive. They're kind of cut from Nevin's cloth in terms of their personality. And they're hanging in there with kind of a substandard starting staff and a very iffy Bunch out of the bullpen, but they are where they are, and they're doing it. And you can't take away that what you know what what the uh, Halos have accomplished so far. I mean, they're, they're sitting there with all this mediocrity around their superstars, and yet uh, they've won eleven of their last fourteen games. Really. Wow. Pretty, it's pretty impressive, so your thoughts
1: i i love hearing this, and i you know I'm a fan of phil nevin uh you know former padre he actually his kids play ball with my son, so uh I'm always rooting for him, but you know phil is a is a good baseball guy, and not only in terms of his baseball i q but he's a leader of men you know and he's a tough guy and and so he'll he'll know when to smack his guys around he'll know when to give them a hug he kind of knows how to handle these guys and he never really had the opportunity to be a manager in a lot of his other gigs Now he finally has that shot. It's wonderful to see him having success. We'll see where this goes. It is June. There's still half a season to
0: play, but right now, somebody's got to be pleased with what's transpired up at Angel Stadium. Okay, before we go to college athletics and a lot of controversy, just remind everybody about Fans Forum and who we want to join us and sit here at this table.
1: Yeah, so who do we want to join us? We want you to join us. Um, So if you've got a hot question to take, uh, put it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it. We'll get you involved like we always. Always do in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And a reminder, uh, check out my website,
0: LeeHacksawHamilton.com. If you've yet to subscribe, we have busted through the 1900 subscription barrier in eight months. We're kind of... Warp Speedin. We'd like to get to 2,000 subscribers by July 4th. By the way, it's free for you to join. What you'll do is you'll get all the alerts for all the different things we put on our podcast site. Uh, Now, we also do other stuff, TikTok, Mm -hmm. all these verticals, etc. Do you think
1: it's blowing up in Instagram? Oh, it's huge. I mean, you have have videos that have like over 280,000 views on, on Instagram. It's unbelievable. So if you like what we're doing, give us a thumbs up. Want you to subscribe. Want you to share
0: with all your friends, and do check my website. All right, let's go from baseball. Let's talk about college athletics, because this story has really taken a turn for the worse.
1: Yeah, I mean, because we've been waiting for this day to happen. We knew there was that June 30th deadline, and now the Aztecs are finally kind of showing their cards. It's a big issue. San Diego State had to make a
0: determination by June 30th. Were they going to exit the Mountain West Conference? Were they going to get an offer from the Pac-12 at this point? They haven't exited, but they have sent the Mountain West a letter about our intentions are to probably depart at the end of 2024. That's what was in the letter. Now, there's a 17 million buyout that San Diego State has to pay. They've asked the Mountain West after informing them that likely this is going to happen a year from now. They asked Mountain West for an extension to make the decision. They also asked for a payment structure that they don't have to pay $17 million immediately, that maybe it could be bartered every quarter, half a year payment, etc., to get to the $17 million. Mountain West reacted terribly. Mountain West immediately removed the president, uh, De La Torre, off the board of directors of the Mountain West Conference. I don't understand that. They promptly started the process of expelling San Diego State from the conference. San Diego State went back and said we were just telling you what our intention is and Mountain West response is it's a letter of resignation. And on top of all that, they have denied to pay the 6 million dollars that the conference was due in June to San Diego State. This is money already earned mm-hmm. as a Conference member in good standing I don't understand that And I don't understand Just this whole attitude From the Mountain West Conference You're doing this to us? San Diego State has been the flagship Of that conference for what? A decade in basketball? At least It's been a dominant team in football San Diego State Because of the Aztecs' hoops Have generated for the conference office $10 million During the Steve Fisher, Brian Dutcher era and this conference is treating them like this? I mean, it's a business decision. Probably there's an offer coming from the Pac-12. Mountain West knew this. And now they're reacting really badly like they're going to be victim from the conference before we ever get to 2024. I, I think it's just a horrific way to treat what has been a member in really good standing. I swear to you, had it not been for Aztec basketball, John... This conference would be like the Sunbelt Conference, Mm -hmm. the Atlantic Sun Conference, like nobody would freaking pay attention to it. So based on what San Diego State has done, I don't understand the methodology of the Mountain West office uh, in Colorado Springs for acting the way they have acted towards San Diego State's athletic department, the athletic director, and the president of the university.
1: Well, breakups are never easy. You know, and and some side's going to take it harder than the other. What made this one more uh, complex is that everyone could see it coming. And so finally, when the Mountain West Conference got the Dear John letter, they just, you know, they went crazy, you know, because they knew they were being rebuked. Um, but, you know, you, you know, the headline there says it's over money. Of course, it's over money. I mean, there's a lot of money on the table here for the Aztecs in terms of what they can do. Um, you know, and, and on top of that, the, the Mountain West has, has brought in teams into the conference. It's a fluid thing, you know, amongst, especially these days. When USC and UCLA, UCLA left the Pac-12, it seemed like that was a shocker. Like, you know, they, no one saw that one coming. But this one, I think they could see it coming, and that's why they're so angry. Pac-12
0: media conference media contract will probably be signed within two weeks. Supposedly, the value will be $37 million per team. Wow. Mountain West TV contract, $3 million per season. Wow. Common sense says the cost of running an athletic department is monumental. And you have a chance to put your university in a different structure and generate $37 million coming in the front door. Everybody in the world would sign up for that. So I just don't understand the Mountain West treating the flagship university in this conference as badly as they're treating themselves. So, We'll see where the story goes. But first, Domino was the new media contract in the Pac-12. That should be followed shortly by an offer, we believe now, to San Diego State and SMU to go in to be the 11th and 12th members. We'll see where it goes from here. That's not the only controversial story in basketball. We've got an absolute ton of other things to talk about. Yeah,
1: I mean, like in the NBA, all these trade rumors. And I mean, you've got the big board here. Lee, let's take a look. Well, let's start
0: with, obviously, uh, the NBA story with Ja Morant. 25-game suspension. This is his seventh off-the-court incident in about a two-year span. Three or four of them had something to do with gun possession on a video. He obviously doesn't get it. 25-game suspension. Now the union is up in arms. The union said they would agree with whatever the discipline was. They didn't think it'd be 25 games. 25 games is $7 million of Ja Morant's contract. Wow. Also, he cannot be reinstated after 25 games. He must go through a complete counseling program that the league has recommended. He must also provide a proposal of how he is going to conduct his personal business off the court if he is reinstated. I don't know that he can change his ways. He is what he is. He runs with the posse he runs with. It's just a horrible story. So that's that. Uh, This story out of West Virginia is gruesome. Bob Huggins, longtime basketball coach. I've known him since 1980. Uh, He's self-destructed. You know, he was involved at the University of Cincinnati in a number of controversial issues, even though the Bearcats were a really good basketball program. There were NCAA violations, he had two DUIs along the way. The academic graduation rate at UC was 28 percent, and he just he just kind of snubbed his nose at the university when they criticized the basketball program. He did not leave on good terms with, with the president and some of the board of trustee members. Goes to West Virginia. He duplicates what he did. In fact, he did better. Uh, he won the 305 games at WVU. He won almost 300 at the University of Cincinnati. He's gone to the NCAA tournament 11 times, been to the Final Four twice with the Bearcats. But there are personality issues. There were red flags issues with him for a long time. Uh, To me, it's terribly sad because he's a great coach, but he's a flawed man. And now the incident six weeks ago, and we kind of intimated That nobody acts like this on radio. When he he started using F-bombs during a radio interview, and he attacked gays and lesbians, and then he attacked Catholics, I said, who the hell does that in the public venue now? Mm -hmm. Well, he did, and I thought there was something going on with him off the court that needed to be addressed. And now six weeks later, this drunk driving arrest in a a battered car uh, filled with beer cans— he blew 0.21 blood blood alcohol wow that's almost 3 times the limit usually mm-hmm. when you get those kind of numbers in a drunk driving incident it involves accidents and fatalities his car was wrecked etc he re, he was forced out he resigned within hours but he was indeed forced out i guess the thing that shocks me and i've known him since i worked in ohio and i thought he was he was a really good coach he was really aggressive he was really pushy he was really demanding Um, And I think he always lived on the edge. But over this course of years, since he's had these alcohol issues there, and then obviously this this was getting worse in Morgantown, how come nobody in his inner circle, none of his friends, nobody in the university infrastructure would do an intervention with him about what they were seeing, how he was acting, what he was becoming, how could that happen? I mean, he's... Been tremendously successful, very powerful man, even within the university structure. I think this is horrible, and I I hope he winds up in intensive rehab because it's it's obvious to me now he has a drinking problem grossly out of control. And I feel sad for him because I liked him, and you don't come out of this unless you're clean. And we're not talking just about job employment; we're also talking about health. Uh, you ever heard the word cirrhosis of the liver? Oh yeah. You drink to the point of a .21, holy cow. So I think it's a terribly sad story. I would hope two of his greatest players both played in the NBA for better than a decade, both at University of Cincinnati, Nick Van Exel and um, Big Center. Uh, Mine escapes me right now. One of those two guys should do an intervention with Bob Mm -hmm. Huggins and those those kids oh huggins their nba careers cuz he developed them into great players and i would i would hope that one of those two players would do an intervention and guide him walk him in to the hazelden clinic somewhere in the country and get him help cuz he it's obvious to me he needs help i think it's it's a terrible story to me it's it's a sad story and i think uh, Kenyon Martin, the center, and Nick Van Exel, the guard, both who started in the NBA, one, one with the Lakers, one with Denver, those guys can make a difference. And I think somebody close to him needs to
1: help save his life. Yeah, well, it, the good news is, is that he decided to step down. But it just goes to show you, you know, if you're like a head basketball coach, you're a big man on campus you know, people have issues, you know, they they have challenges. They're going to alcohol and drinking excessively because they're trying to avoid reality. You know, they're having trouble, they have their own struggles. So people need help, you know, and I think we're all learning whether you're the top dog as a coach in a big time program, or you're just a regular sports fan, you know, there are substance abuse issues that need to be addressed. So hopefully he gets help. It's good there wasn't an accident, but geez, over 0.2, that, I mean, that's, that's way over the edge. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's an addiction. It's a terrible addiction. Mm-hmm. And those kind of numbers, that's like neon lights. That's a really severe addiction. All right. So we go from John Morant uh, to Bob Huggins. Let's go to the third topic. Michael Jordan. He accomplished so much as a player. has accomplished so much as a businessman. He did not accomplish it as an owner. Michael Jordan has put the Charlotte Hornets up for sale. Uh, didn't win anything in thirteen years as owner of the Charlotte Hornets. And when he got walked in that front door, everybody thought this franchise is going to great heights. Never ever got there. Uh, never won a playoff series in thirteen years. Won only three playoff games in the thirteen years. He was never around. He was out playing golf. He was a, an entrepreneur who loved golf and didn't spend any attention within. And there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on inside their building about. Where is our leader? Why is our leader not here part of the basketball decisions and so he's put the thing up for sale. Quite an investment. He bought it for 284,000. He will sell it for 2 billion.
1: Wow. You mean two hundred eighty-four million? Yeah, I'm two sure, billion. But still, that's a ten to one return. I always think of um, Michael Jordan as I always thought he was like a minority owner because he was so invisible. But he's the top dog there. He's the majority owner. Wow! So he's like a Steve Ballmer or Mark Cuban, a guy you expect to see on the sideline every night. Yeah.
0: He played golf all the time. It was it was a huge. Huge point of argument. On we go. NBA draft is on Thursday. We know who's gonna be the first pick. San Antonio gets Victor Webianmana outstanding player from France. This will be fascinating to see how quickly he develops under a really good coach in Greg Popovich. And, of course, they've had great success in San Antonio developing European and foreign abroad players. Yeah. Uh, So he goes there with the number one pick. Charlotte gets the second pick. It looks as if they're going to take Brandon Miller, uh, the big forward that we saw in the NCAA tournament against San Diego State. Uh, He's from the University of Alabama. Nobody knows what's going to happen with a third pick. And this is the most intriguing thing. Portland is at three. Portland's got two issues going on. One is Damian Lillard says, trade the pick and get me veteran players so we can win uh, while I can still play. Or if you can't do that, trade me and get me out of here. So Portland's got a tough decision to make. They are taking trade offers. That remains to be seen what transpires. One and two are locked. After that, it could be anybody and everybody.
1: Yeah, I was looking at a, uh, a mock draft of the NBA, and a lot of these guys are already in the G League, so I guess they've been able to sign there as amateurs, or but I was surprised by that, because I thought everyone in the G League would, was already drafted or was a free agent acquisition. A couple of years ago, they formed what's called the elite team
0: that played in the G League. That was all underclassmen who did not want to go to college that filed to go to the NBA. Ah,
1: okay, that's it, because it said elite, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, there's the elite team, and then there's uh, the... ignite team and those are two very different teams but they are built around high school seniors not wanting to go to college go there for a year be one and done in that level and then jump into the Uh, nba draft so that's That's where we are there. Okay, one other topic on the table. We knew deals were coming, and this is the first one, and I guarantee you, John, there will be a bunch of dominoes going to fall between now and Thursday night. Uh, This is the Phoenix Suns making the trade with the Washington Wizards. Brad Beal, really good guard, good guy, huge contract, tired of losing in Washington, they worked out a deal. He waived his no-trade clause. He gave some money back to allow this to happen. Brad Beal goes to Phoenix in a complex deal. We've not heard the end of it, but Phoenix sends 38-year-old guard Chris Paul, Landry Shamet, young guard, four second-round draft picks, and a flip-flop of high picks in years down the road. We don't know what years there will be, how many of them there are. All that goes to Washington for Brad Beal. Beal waived the no trade clause in his contract. He gave up the 15% kicker that was part of that extended contract. Uh, Phoenix takes on a $50 million deal. As we sit here on a Monday night, Phoenix now has four... Max players under contract. Mm -hmm. I mean, led by Devin Booker and obviously Kevin Durant. DeAndre Ayton is still there. And now you add Brad Beal. Holy cow, that's the team to beat in the NBA West, if not uh, in the NBA championship round. So that's fascinating. Now, there's going to be some fallout. The rumor is that Washington is going to take Chris Paul and put him out there on the table. Make me your best offer, Clippers. Make me your best offer, Lakers. I think CP3 is going to wind up wearing one of those uniforms next year. Maybe that trade comes down between now and Thursday. So that's what's going on around the NBA. And, you know, there's just a ton of trade rumors. Is, Is Damian Lillard going to be moved out of Portland? Miami's got four guards. They're trying to trade two of the guards. Is Heighton going to stay in Phoenix? Or is the new owner going to jettison him somewhere else, too? You know, I don't buy this Kyrie Irving push to get LeBron James. Uh, the Clippers have got three big men there shopping. So, John, there's a lot of dominoes that are going to fall. Don't walk away uh, from your source of information because the <laughs> story's going to be changing. Go ahead.
1: I, I, I'm surprised that the Suns had any picks to deal because they gave away all those number ones to get uh, KD. And so I, the, here, I guess they got rid of their twos. So they, they got nothing. It seems like the Suns are almost like the Padres of the NBA, you know, getting all these named guys. But I had heard that... Um, that Pat Riley in Miami got a lot of crap from the fans because they wanted to get Beal down there to play for the Heat. Well, they didn't. Uh, they I don't
0: know why Washington took this trade because it's obvious that they're moving CP3 and you know maybe they're going to eat the contract on Landry Schmidt, and they didn't get high number ones. They got twos. Uh, yeah, pick picks thirty five to sixty. They're not great value. The NBA draft has changed a great deal. Now it may well be that Miami was not willing to part with certain guards. And maybe that's the reason the deal didn't get done. But I don't think we're done dealing uh, in the NBA. Okay, let's move on. We got uh,
1: on ice to talk about. Yeah, this is I saw the pieces of this story that there was like uh, a lot going on. It was more than a hockey game in the arena.
0: Well, we're talking about Las Vegas, Florida Panthers game five, which decided the Stanley Cup. Uh, Las Vegas police four hours before the game arrested a Las Vegas man who on social media had made threats he was going to take guns into the arena and was going to kill people. Um, Evidently, they found out the night before a family member who had seen posts on social media from this man who has a history of mental health problems called police and said, I think this relative of mine has written this. And two other friends also made contact with the police. They arrested the guy at his home. He didn't have any guns on him when they went into the house. They did find they did find weapons there. So they snuffed out what could have been a bad situation. Boy, you see that and you say, "Ooh, holy cow." But guns in society, it just is so out of control, so bad. But the Las Vegas police put that situation to rest 5 hours, 4 hours before that final Golden Knights game against the Florida Panthers where they won. Uh, won the cup, you know, and over the weekend is an eerie, eerie angle to the story. They had on the Las Vegas Strip the championship trophy parade for the Vegas Knights. A mm. uh, hundred thousand fans showed up, but the hotels that encompass the strip that are right on the strip, the police got access to all the rooms who had windows looking out onto the strip to search to make sure. Now, I mean that 's banging on a lot of doors and waking people up oh, yeah. to do searches. They had search warrants to make sure nobody had guns wow what 's our society come to just just great, great work by Las Vegas police citizens stood up and said we 're worried about this guy. this guy 's had a history of mental health problems. And the dude's got guns.
1: Well, it's good on his family members for reporting him yep. because, um, you know, better to be, you know, extra cautious than to give it too much slack. But, you know, they're, they're still reeling in Vegas from that terrible shooting at the country music concert, um, which I don't know if they've ever even solved that one. I, I mean, or at least found a motive on, on no. that particular shooting. It was that 60 who got killed, I believe? Yeah, that was insane. That was what, like maybe five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, but, yeah, you know, it's interesting to. Too, that we see all these mass shootings that occur all across America, it, we're fortunate that very, very rarely does it ever happen at a sporting event. You think that'd be a prime time target? Yeah.
0: you know the, the worst thing that I remember is the movie. What was the movie about the Super Bowl with the? Uh Guns and killings and this, this movie must be fifteen twenty years. Yeah, that sounds
1: vaguely familiar. Yeah. And,
0: I, and I and a lot of the stuff that quote created was it called Black Sunday, I believe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff that was created in that movie has happened in society. That's that's not good. Let's talk about something cool. Let's talk about what happened. Go, ahead. corner, kick me a question yeah. on this, would you?
1: Well, yeah. You know, what's your take here? I mean, they they, they the uh, the the, the U.S. men's national team, they won the tournament. They they got their coach. They're sitting in a good position. They really are. Uh, I don't know if you followed soccer. If you're a soccer fan, you need to be with us on our bonus coverage on
0: Monday and our regular coverage on Thursday because we are covering a lot of soccer. Uh, that guy is back, Greg Berhalter, after about six months of controversy, has been rehired, given a contract extension. I tend to think... Because last week we talked about suddenly Burhalter was interviewing other places because any conversation with Team USA had been stalled. I, I tend to think that when the story got out that Club America in Mexico and Sparta of Rotter- Rotterdam in Netherlands, where he had played as a young, young star, were interviewing him for their coaching job. That forced Matt Crockett, the new general manager of Team USA, to get to the forefront. They got there real quick. He had a 10-hour meeting. With Burhalter on the weekend, and they came to an agreement that he would come back for the next three years through 2026. So it's great because the players had spoken out in public that this man was the architect of everything. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty good chemistry relationship. Now, Burhalter admitted that there is, quote, work to be done to solve the problem with Gia Reyna. However, they'll they'll find a way to set this aside, what the Reyna family did to Burhalter that got him removed as coach for about a six-month period. They'll have to solve it. I do think they'll solve it. Peer pressure. Players in that room will help solve the thing. Here's the cool part. I mean, they blew out Mexico. 3-0. Not a competitive game at all. It was a really ugly game. Four red cards ton of personal fouls the game was stopped because mexican fans threw tons of garbage on the field and then the game was stopped the second time because mexican fans have a history of uttering gay slurs on the field when their team is losing really they ended the game At the 89th minute, they did not let it go into extra time because of what the fans were doing. And the referees under FIFA have a right to do that. Mm -hmm. Horrible, horrible end. But Team USA totally dominated. Then they came back and they won the second game of the tournament to win the, the Nations League Cup. And they shut out Team Canada. That was a much more spirited game. And Canada had a bunch of scoring chances. To me, the most exciting part is just what transpired. Gio Reno played really well. They put him out on the wing as a guy that distributed the ball. The defenses got sucked there to try to defend him. He hit Christian Pulisic. Pulisic banged home a couple goals in the Mexican game. Uh, Then they turned around and they used Ricardo Pepe. The 19-year-old, he scored a goal in one of the games. Uh, Zendejas got the chance to play right at the end. I mean, Team America, Team USA looks so different now with the firepower they have. It's just not Christian Pulisic by himself. Mm -hmm. Now suddenly, they've got three to four other young snipers that I think are going to be real difference makers. So everything to me is looking up. Uh, we go from the Nations League to the Gold Cup coming up. And when the Gold Cup is completed, then Burhalter in August will actually take control of Team USA. But everybody seems really pleased. I'm pleased because th- he's the architect of where this thing has come from and obviously the driver of where we think globally this thing can go. And by the way, speaking of soccer coaches, Mexico just fired the guy they just hired, Diego Coca, who uh, was oh, a yeah. head coach at Mexico. Mm-hmm. Seven games in, they oust him. Went 3-3-1, three, three and one, but they weren't competitive at all in the game against Team USA. He just got fired on Monday morning. Uh, also, Mexico's federation is facing a $150,000 fine for the junk that came in out of the stadium from all those fans. They'd already been fined $100,000 prior. Now it looks like that's going to go again. And Mexico is in total disarray. Uh, they have fired eight executives and coaches. In the last eleven months, including two head coaches, so they they are in right now. They are in total disarray. And El Tri, that's that's the team. That's the only thing that is important to Mexican sports fans is their World Cup soccer team, and they look in total disarray. So we've talked a lot about Burhalter, We talked about the players. We talked about the young guys on the come. Boy, sure looks like they've arrived in this tournament. And now we look forward to what's coming.
1: Yeah, the future looks great. But just think about where this program was. You know, you roll the clock back 40 years ago, which is the disgrace. And then when America hosted the World Cup in the early 90s, they showed something there. And little by little, they got better. But remember, they took a big dip and they didn't make the World Cup in 2018. Yes. But now they're kind of on the rise again. So this is exciting. I watched parts of the game. I think it was pay-per-view, but I was able to watch it for free. On Univision, so I kind of tested out my, some of my Spanish language, and that wasn't very good
0: either. I didn't understand anything you are trying to say to me on the phone, <laughs> uh, talking in Spanish. But I did too. I watched, I watched Univision because I could identify the players, and they would identify the English names mm-hmm. of the players. But now, you know, the Landon Donovan era really spiked the interest in World Cup soccer. Then they dipped because their players got old and guys retired, and then failed to make the World Cup. Then Berhalter drove this thing, put this young roster together, not so much to win in 2023, or what year was it, 2023, but what they're going to build towards in 2026. And they look like they're ahead of schedule.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time, you know, and and I think about El Tri in Mexico. You know, there's a lot of national pride at stake. And, <laughs> you know, for the longest time, I mean, they were the dominant North North American team because the United States was so down. Now things are switching. I think Mexico figured this was the one sport they had uh, the up on the United States. And now that table's been turned past tense. I agree. All right. Let's go from that to what happened on Sunday in Los Angeles. It's their final topic
0: on the table. Get ready. Get ready to fire us questions and comments in our fans' forum. It's coming up real quick. I watched the U.S. Open. I watched uh, part of the first round on Thursday. I was amazed. I watched uh, almost virtually the whole thing on Sunday. I was really stunned. This was not par for the course U.S. (laughs) Open golf. U.S. Open golf has this philosophy, John, the integrity of par. They make the golf course impossible to play the greens are so fast the pin placements are wicked the bunkers the rough it's impossible to survive i mean if if you win the us open at one or two under par you've had yourself a good four days we came out of the gates on thursday and the leaders were 10 under par yeah ricky fowler had 10 birdies on a US open golf course. Mm-hmm. And fifteen minutes later Xander Shoffley stormed to the end and he had I think he had eight birdies along the way and he shot a ten under par. I mean it was absolutely stunning what happened the first day. And I said, What is this? Miniature golf? This is not the US <laughs> Open. US Open is lakes all over the place, tight fairways, really high rough. You're gonna lose your ball in that rough, you're gonna take double penalties. Now there are some guys who got killed, but as, as Thursday turned to Friday. The course got a little bit tougher. Then the weather changed. It got warm. And by by the time we got to Saturday into Sunday, it was tough to sink putts on the green because the greens were playing so fast. And, pal, if you put the thing in the bunker, you're in trouble. You put the thing in the high rough, you're in trouble. Sunday looked like a U.S. Open. Wyndham Clark wins it. This this is a guy out of Oklahoma State that's had just so many setbacks in his career. He almost gave up golf. as His mother was dying. She was the biggest backer he had. And she told him, just go play big before he passed away. And he's finally turned the corner. Some of it was physical. A bunch of it was mental in terms of his approach and dealing with the frustrations of being, you know, a a guy on the PGA Tour. I'm sorry, John. I saw you break your club on the course. You were (laughs) pissed off. But these guys can't do that. Yeah. So so he really turned the corner. Uh, But it was wild, you know. He held on as the big names were hunting him down on Sunday. Here came Rory McElroy and he got within one stroke. Here came Scotty Scheffler, and he got close, and he could not close the door. Other guys kind of self-destructed. The longer they played in, onto the U.S. Open style, of course, on Sunday, their games kind of fell apart. But, you know, McIlroy had 16 pars, 16 pars on Sunday. He couldn't make birdies. He's, it's like he didn't have a putter in the bag. But he didn't take bogeys along. That's why he hung tough. But Wyndham Clark didn't make any mistakes. Uh, Ricky Fowler had 10 birdies on opening day. He had six bogeys on Sunday. The course kind of grabbed him. And uh, there were just others that struggled. Uh, Xander on Sunday. Xander was in the hunt. uh, Shafley, the Aztec star, three bogeys and a triple bogey. Mm. And then there was Dustin Johnson. Now, you can identify with this. (laughs) Dustin Johnson took a quadruple bogey into the water twice. He finished with an eight on one
1: hole. You've been there, done that. Yes, (laughs) Snowman. Yeah, snowman, exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, Brooks Koepka spent the whole weekend whining about the L.A. Country Club course. He didn't play very well. Some guys did. Matt Fitzpatrick had an ace. An ace in the U.S. Open on a U.S. Open course. So it was just a tremendous—I thought it was a wild weekend. Uh, I, I was hoping for McElroy to get it because he's had a long dry spell, uh, you know, winning a Grand Slam event. But good for Wyndham Clark because he soldiered through a lot of adversity, and this will be a memory of a lifetime. He could not talk when he came off the 18. He was weeping, yeah. weeping so much. It was it's just kind of a cool, cool story. And other guys— The Phil Mickelsons of the world did not make the cut. John Rahm had kind of a ratty day. The course kind of gobbled him up on Saturday and Sunday. So U.S. Open became the U.S. Open. But it surely wasn't that the first day I looked at that and said,
1: how is this possible? This is the U.S. Open. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a fun tournament to watch. And it's nice to see, you know, one of these young guys that kind of turned their career around and, and and won one of the big ones. But I think the other part of the story is everything about the course itself, the L.A. Country Club. And, you know, I used to live up there near UCLA. Um, And I remember driving past that course on Wilshire Boulevard, and I always just thought of it, oh, that's just a private course. But we since learned it's like, what, $250,000 for a membership? And they don't want celebrities. They just want kind of old money, you know, I guess, you know, guys smoking cigars on the course kind of thing. But it's a really exclusive venue. And that's why the the event the US Open the crowds were kind of mild there weren't as many people as we would have liked yeah it was until the 18th hole once once
0: clark got it up on the green they let the the ropes down mm-hmm. and the people surged it was really cool the final shot with everybody around the green probably 20 deep so PGA Tour. uh, Great golf. We had that coming on the heels of what we just saw north of the border in the Canadian Open on the 72-foot shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Wyndham Clark hit a 59-foot putt that got him within one inch of the hole on the 18th and then just tapped it in and got the victory. So cool cool story okay time for fans form you got questions we got answers if you agree with us great if you disagree with us well too bad for you uh and john's friends from left
1: field i can see you've also joined us Uh, go ahead on fans form okay here we go this is from emmanuel and he says i'm sorry lee but the great vin scully has the wild horse nickname to yasiel puig 10 years ago well i concur with you but that was
0: that was a decade ago, and I don't think anybody's trademarked that. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you watch what Tatis is doing on the field. He covers so much real estate, two area codes in right field. He's going on top of walls to get balls. Then what he's doing on the bases— gets to first base, it's automatic, he's going to second, and then what he's doing on plays to create runs and energy, et cetera. So to me, Wild Horse kind of sounds like the way he's playing right now. I hope he can continue it. Now, if you've got a different nickname, aside from El Nino and Wild Horse, go
1: ahead. <laughs> when I hear Wild Horse, I think of the Rolling Stones. Um, but I just love that play. When he when he you know went to second, the ball gets away, he goes to third, and Matt Williams is putting up the stop sign and – Tatis just went on instinct and and galloped home, I mean, to be a wild horse. And he came after he crossed the plate. He was like jumping and exploding on his way back to the, the dugout. It was just terrific. Yeah, the only thing missing was was the sombrero hat or the sh- swag chain. Yeah, exactly. And then he threw out the guy at home plate. I mean, what what a great series for him. This is going to be a fun four-game series up in San Francisco starting tonight.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a litmus test. I mean, we find out if your phrase, turned the corner,
1: if that is correct. All right, on we go. Next question on Fans form. Okay, this one's uh, from John Hopkins. He says, could San Diego State say, quote, okay, let's go independent and let the Pac-12 and Big 12 compound upon our door? Well, I I guess they could
0: step away for a year or two. But what happens if the Pac-12 does not offer them? What if the Pac-12 rethinks the position and say, everybody has agreed in the grant of deeds to stay in our conference, nobody can leave. And each school has to sign that before the TV deal is finalized. So you could go independent, but what happens if it doesn't work out? And in terms of the Big 12, you know, they were at Memphis this past week. University of Memphis got a pretty good football and a really good basketball program. And they got a much bigger following than San Diego State does. You now the TV set markets is part of the equation. So I I think you need caution. But why would the Mountain West do this? After all the things San Diego State has represented for that conference logo, why would they treat them this way? I mean, if I were the Mountain West Conference, handle this with class. Allow them to have the structure to sit another year if that's what needs be let them go have another basketball tournament team that brings in more money for the conference coffers and then work with them on their exit fees instead of kicking the university president off the board of directors yeah and and, and instead of taking 6 million dollars that they've already earned and said we're not going to pay you what kind of way is that to do business for a flagship university that has been a really good citizen in that conference so
1: We'll see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like one of your brothers getting a promotion, you know. So, you know, show the love, you know. And and, and but here's a question for you, Lee. Now, there's all these rumors that you know maybe um, Arizona State leaves uh, Utah, Colorado. Maybe they leave the Pac-12. Do you think if the if it if the Pac-12 disintegrated that much, would the Mountain West and the Pac-12 merge as one? There
0: might well have to be some type of consolidation. But that's the worst case scenario. And and how many schools can the Pac-12 have? You got 20 schools in a conference? What kind of conference is that going to be? Uh, and, and again, that's why they're working so hard. The president at the University of Arizona on Friday night, I think his name is Rob Robbins, said he believes everybody will sign the grant of deed this week, which then locks everybody into the new TV contract Then they go get the money. $37 million in a in a deal— is not bad, and you can always build on it if the conference gets more powerful along the way. Uh, the Big 12 revenue share is $41 million per school, so it's not that big a difference. But to me, there's so much heritage out here. I mean, you go swing all the way back to the Pac-8 back in oh, the 60s. Yeah. Why? That's what, what upsets me so much about the Trojans and the Bruins. Why would you walk away from the heritage of what this conference is? So I don't think Oregon and Washington are going to leave – I don't know that the corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State should leave. Uh, Colorado's a different scenario because that's where they came from. I don't think they should have ever left there to begin with. But they're not going back to the same conference. Oklahoma's gone. Mm -hmm. Nebraska's gone. Texas is gone. Texas A&M's gone. That's not the same Big 12 from yesteryear. So. It's just a different time. I hope they solve it.
1: Yeah, I hope so, too. This is going to be a fascinating few weeks here as we get near that June 30th deadline. Here's another comment here from Manny. He says, which network or streaming service has the inside track to give the PAC-12 the money they are looking for? There's not many opportunities
0: out there. Uh, One of the things that the conversation point is they are negotiating with Amazon to stream now, you know, everybody's gonna get into this thing where you gotta you gotta buy the streaming service and that that's gonna upset John Q. Fan who's normally turned on ABC and watch Pac twelve football for a lifetime. Right. Before Keith Jackson. Yeah. So that that that's an issue. Um ESPN is out of the mix because of all the things that they've done and ESPN has now gone into cutting cost mode. Uh Fox may well be out there. The, I, the general consensus from what I've gotten from the net, people I network with is going to be a, a two-tier thing. And Amazon might well be a streaming carrier. And then obviously you've got whoever's going to be on the network. So we'll find out. I would I would think before July 4th, uh, we're probably going to find out what, what's going to happen with the TV deal and the dollar value. And then that immediately spins off to who gets offered to go,
1: if anybody gets offered to go. Mm-hmm. Well, however it sorts out, it's going to be an upgrade for San Diego State. And well, I mean, we
0: think, unless they don't yeah. get an offer.
1: Well, yeah, and then if they're in no man's land, then it could be a little bit tricky. But I, they're going to get offered. I mean, they're going to the Pac-12 needs them. The Big 12 could certainly use them as well. So, okay, you can you can do the show from left field. Okay. That's fine. Let's get some uh, social media commenters in here. And this is from um, the Ashtray of LA on Instagram. It says. I'm interested how the Padres are going to do against the good teams, LOL. Tampa about to carve them up. Well, ashtray, Tampa,
0: (laughs) I mean, that was a pretty good three-game series. Pretty tense, right on the edge. Uh, Tampa's defense is not what I thought it would be. I was kind of surprised how sloppy they were at times. Shortstop, third base, catcher. Um, Potters have to prove they can do it on a, on a game-by-game, series-by-series basis, and we have not seen that yet. Uh, so they, they go play the Giants. Like I say, 10 of the next 13 on the road. They really have to dominate this to stay in the hunt, because if, if they get wiped out in the series, next group or series of games, uh, they're going to be in a world of hurt, because they'll be so far back with so many teams they would have to vault over. And you can say, well, the Potters have hit their way back into it, but then you're presupposing that everybody above them is going to go on 10 game losing streaks. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can do that. They have the best roster of any of these teams, they have the most experience, and these guys have not hit up to their standards. And I know Manny Machado's walking around peeved at the San Diego media. Just read the back of my baseball card. Well, the back of your baseball <laughs> card said you're a 290 hitter, and you're hitting 234. I haven't hit very many home runs. So that's what the back of the baseball card used to be versus what is now. So let's give them, let's give them this, this 13-game stretch and see how they do.
1: Well, we were saying before, oh, it's early. Well, it's not early anymore. Uh-huh. The, the all-star break is in a few weeks. Yes. And you know, so yeah, they got to get their act together. No time like the present. Okay. Here's one from Stand up, <laughs> and talking about uh, giving the players a second chance. He says Kaepernick was demoted to second string and he quit the NFL. He wanted starters pay, but he was no longer of starting quality. He was given chances to come back, but he turned them all down. He's nothing but a charlatan.
0: Well, I'll disagree with you because he was hurt and he had major shoulder surgery because he took a pounding. Statistically, he wasn't the same quarterback towards the end in San Francisco because he got hurt a bunch. Had only one team that expressed interest, and that was coming in to be the number two guy to compete for the job, and he didn't take the offer. I don't understand why he got bad advice or why he didn't just control his career. But by the same token, let's let's be realistic here. When he was young at 28, the guy could still play post-surgery. Why he didn't take an offer? Why somebody didn't offer him? You look at the laundry list of quarterbacks who got signed Josh Johnson, USD, has been on 14 different (laughs) rosters. That's right. And he can hardly play, and yet he kept getting re-signed, and Kaepernick was out. Now, Kaepernick can't play anymore because he's age 34 going on 35, and he's been Mm -hmm. out of it six years. But back then, at 28 or 29, why he didn't get a look-see from a bunch of clubs who had lost quarterbacks because of injuries just absolutely stuns me. and. You know freedom of speech is part of the equation he didn't do anything illegal except stand up for a social cause that he firmly believed in and I went back I interviewed Colin Kaepernick one time in his career and I went back and looked at the social causes that he's been involved in John I mean he donated a million dollars' money to children's hospitals in Ghana to build really? hospitals and what he's done for after school education programs in the Bay Area San Francisco and in Oakland it's just amazing, and and food programs for kids in the inner city schools, in those cities. I mean, a guy is guy's a good citizen. It just it just ended really badly.
1: Well, remember when he broke into the league? I think wasn't Jim Harbaugh was the coach of the 49ers? Mm-hmm. and was Alex Smith the starting quarterback? And I think they benched him and put in this Kaepernick guy. We're all going, who in the heck is he? And he led him to the Super Bowl, you know, against the Ravens. Um, he was electric in his first couple of years. But, you know, it's it's interesting. It's so politicized. And so a lot of times, you know, the haters on Kaepernick that didn't agree with his social stance will sometimes use the excuse that ah, he couldn't play anymore. But to your point, he was injured. He was. And he had surgeries. And that, that was a big issue. And unique kid. I mean, they found
0: him in Nevada, Reno. He was a really great college quarterback. Doesn't necessarily equate to being a great NFL quarterback, but he strung together some good years. So it's just... The social causes, I think, indirectly impacted him. Now, maybe he had to go to a special offense, and that's why a bunch of teams did not call him. You know, the Lamar Jackson-type offense would would have been a fit for him, but him going somewhere else is strictly a pocket passer, and somebody else's offense
1: might not have worked. On we go. Next question. On we go. So uh, here's a question by the PGA. Um, this is from Chris Stock. He says... I suppose the only real losers are the PGA members who stayed loyal and didn't take the blood money. They are persona
0: non grata. Well, let me give you a couple uh, spins on this, because we talked about it extensively last week as part of the merger, if it ever gets approved by the Department of Justice, because they're now examining it, uh, it's going to take about a year. But when the merger occurs, uh, the PGA is going to run every facet of golf between the ropes. Uh, there will also be a new business venture, which is funded by the $3 billion that the Saudi Fund is putting into this pot, a business venture in which the loyalty guys, the Rory McElroys, the Tigers, whomever, are going to get bonus money for staying on the PGA Tour, and that money will come out of the LIV fund that was used to set up this this thing. Now, it's complex. We don't have all the details yet, but just think, PGA Golf globally where you can work the calendar to make all these events and then the creative events part of the European tour. So therefore, the John Rahms of the world and the Xander Schauffles and whomever go abroad and play in a team concept in maybe a three-day tournament where the PGA flag is planted in Paris or in Barcelona or in Morocco. The amount of money to be made by going into markets that have never really had, quote, all the stars— And now these would be the global stars coming to play. It's going to be phenomenal. And so those type of business investment-created tournaments – the loyal guys are going to get a chunk of the profits out of that.
1: That's how it was explained to me. That, that's awesome. I mean, they, they deserve it, you know, for sticking with the program. Uh, but I just, I just look at this more broadly. Is Look at the financial opportunity that's available in all of these sports. Baseball, football, basketball, hockey, golf. I mean, it's endless. And to see it go worldwide, I think, is awesome. Because I think sports, like the Olympics are supposed to be, is a way that we can bring people together.
0: Concur. And you see it you see what the NFL's trying to do. They've been a little bit behind the curve, uh, about putting teams abroad in Europe. they are playing international games. NBA has just become a mega international game. National Hockey League has always been in certain hockey countries, mm-hmm. obviously not in Tokyo, Japan, but in, in Norway and Sweden and England and those places. They're they're playing games now uh abroad too. So it it has grown.
1: A couple more questions here in our fans' forum. Okay, here we go. This is uh, talk about the MLB salary cap. This is from <laughs> Doug on Twitter. The owners in Pittsburgh and other cities like, they do not want, in other cities, do not want a salary floor because they want low payroll for maximum profit. Pittsburgh cut payroll after a 98-win season in 2015. It's a problem. It's a problem for about a third of the teams in Major League Baseball, and that's, that's
0: why I was taken by surprise by Hal Steinbrenner, the Yankees owner last week, indicating I'd be in favor of a salary cap as long as there was a bottom floor that every team had to spend. And then Scott Boros came up with a formula that every one of these teams that takes revenue share has to spend to a floor three years in a row to make this work. Uh, it's just in the idea stage right now. The union has kind of said, no, nah, we're not going to go there. Why wouldn't you go there? It just doesn't make any sense to me. When you'd, you'd force Kansas City and Pittsburgh and, and Miami to spend to, hundred, say, $110 million rather than 60000000 million, that'd mean $40 million per year that somebody could go sign to play for the Pirates and Royals the player, the mid-level veteran player, would extend his career. He'd get a nice payday. And by the way, he'd probably help the Royals and the Orioles and the Tigers in Pittsburgh, et cetera. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I agree with you completely. And what's interesting in Pittsburgh is they just upgraded the ballpark. It's not just the fact that it's the new PNC, but they upgraded the sound system kind of like they did at Petco a number of years ago. So why are they not investing in players? They're, they're, instead, they're investing in infrastructure. I don't know. I I agree with you. I think they need to have a floor just to keep the sport competitive.
0: The money's there. Everybody can make money in Major League Baseball. And the prime example is what's going on down the road here in the Gaslamp Quarter, Petco Park. Yeah. Padres have had 28 sellouts already. Broken, single-season record, and we're not even to the All-Star break. Second biggest attendance in baseball. Only the Dodgers are drawing more. Padres are drawing a shade over 40,000. Just think about the money that the Padres are generating and the product on the field and what it's meant to the fans and the community. And in all honesty, the Padres have kind of rebuilt the heart of our city. Our heart was broken by what Dean Spanos did by yanking the Chargers out of here. Now the Padres have healed us. Just look at Petco Park, how freaking electric it is. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah, whether you're in the stadium, you're Mm -hmm. in Gallagher Park or whatever, it's just – It's cool. That's what happens when you have a revenue stream and you commit to spend it and you go get players and hopefully you don't make mistakes on the players you're spending the money on.
1: Yeah, well, it's too bad they can't do that in some of these other cities.
0: I concur. But Florida spending... That'd be a starting
1: point. Okay, it would. Last question of the day on our uh, bonus podcast. Okay, this is uh, from Fat Albert talking about how we judge athletes. He says it's a Cartesian coordinate system. The independent access is performance. The dependent access is likability. Guys like Ryan and Koufax automatically get it. Guys like Bauer and Kaepernick never do. Decision making. Why would you do anything that would put your career
0: and your contract in jeopardy? Decision making, but not all of us are smart. A lot of guys come from bad backgrounds and keep making bad decisions because they're running with the same people off the field that are causing problems. So, it it's everywhere. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter what sport it is. You're going to have players who have problems based on where they came from and how they got there and what their value system is. So, thing is, you got you got unions to represent them to guide them. They have a commissioner that will discipline them if they step way off the line, a.k.a. Jean Marant.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, for the longest time, these kids were prima donnas. They, they, they ruled their high school when they were as an athlete, and they've been insulated from a lot of the external world. And so now they get a big, um, you know, kind of a, a, a bunch of adulting that kind of gets thrown at them, and they've got to step up. And some of these guys are just ill-equipped. And that's hard to believe because the unions of each of these
0: elective sports make programs available for them. And it's obvious a large chunk of the players who get in trouble, blow off the programs, don't read the playbook, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday podcast. We do bonus podcast on Monday, big podcast on Thursday. Invite you to subscribe because that way you'll get all the alerts. Tell a friend. I don't care if you text, if you write. Instagram, whatever, tell a friend of everything we're doing. Also, if I'm writing every night on that website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, you owe it to me to check that website every night because I'll guarantee you, you'll know all the information there is in the world of sports. Also, in addition to subscribing, share the data with all your friends. Tell them what we're doing. If you feel like it, give us a thumbs up. Give John five stars as a (laughs) co-host. We do appreciate you being with us. John, have a great week. Will Yak catcher come Thursday? Thursday is NBA draft night,
1: too. This is a great week, and the Padres are going to San Francisco. I was hoping they can win at least three out of four.
0: Hey, have yourself a great afternoon. Thanks for being with us on our bonus podcast and Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app.
1: For more content, go to lehacksawhamilton.com.